Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go, Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you one last time this week. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and you. Glad to have you along for the next three hours. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Got a chance to... Spend some time with some of my uh, Mississippi Land Bank friends last night at uh, at the baseball game in Starkville. Some guys that have got um, uh, one of the uh, what do you call them now? Hey, Dad, in the past it was you know you would say one of the outfield rigs. Is it just one of the spots in the outfield yeah, now? Spots. Would that be the white, right way to describe it? But that's how I would just say I've got a spot in the left field lounge. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Bart and Tyler welcomed me into their spot. Uh, in the uh, the left field lounge last night, and had some sausage going on the grill, had some wings going on the grill, and uh, what what a what a cool experience last night. I'll, I'll tell you more about that coming on. But uh, uh, those guys out of the Starkville office, you've got branches from Mississippi Land Bank all over uh, North Mississippi, from Senatobia all the way to the eastern edge of the state, and all points in between at Mississippi Land Bank. They'll help you with your land financing needs because they know the lay of the land. Happy Friday, boys. Borky, what's up? Oh, just trying to figure out what I'm going to watch and when I'm going to watch it. Now that I'm a newfound Major League Baseball fan, it's not just the Sweet 16 in college baseball anymore. I've got to work in professional Major League Baseball as well. So I don't know what the heck I'm going to do this weekend. I'm trying to figure it out, but I guess it's a pretty good problem to have. Yeah, after everybody got started in the big leagues yesterday, there are only eight games. However, your Milwaukee Brewers, who are off to a 1-0 start, are in action tonight at 7-10. Can't wait to be locked into that Against the St. One. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, it, it's good that they're starting against the Cardinals because that's a, a team that I genuinely dislike. And I don't know why. I can't put a finger on it. I've just I've never <laughs> liked the Cardinals. So if I'm going to adopt a new team, at least they're playing one that I have an emotional reaction for. It's a good start. Self self proclaimed best fans in baseball. Oh yeah, and they'll tell you all about it on yourself. It has to be true. Yeah. Hey, how do you feel about Freddie Peralta going on the mound tonight for the the Brew Crew? (laughs) (laughs) It's still early, man. (laughs) I've got to watch him yet. Um, Hey, Dad. I don't know if you know this or not, but Michael Borky just heard the name Freddie Peralta for the first time in his entire life. First time for everything, I guess. I mean. I'm excited for him and his newfound Brewers fandom. I look forward to him, you know, cracking open an ice cold Miller Lite later and dunking it over his head when they hit a home run. Yeah, see, that's what makes it hard. Miller Lite is just alcohol water. Well, you can have a beer shower with it then. Yeah, just, sure. Just, just get rid of it that way. That sounds like fun, actually. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but we'll go ahead with it. <sighs> you too. 
<laughs> Goodness. <laughs> we got a bunch to get to this afternoon. Game one in the books for Mississippi State and LSU happened in Starkville last night. Bulldogs able to hang on late for a win in a game that they were in control, really, for the first seven and a half, eight innings of the uh, of the ball game. We'll look at the other matchups that are happening and get started tonight in the SEC. There was one other series that got started last night. We'll look at that as well. Georgia and Kentucky had some controversy at the end of Tennessee and Purdue in the Sweet 16 matchup. Fun game to watch. Went to overtime. Purdue advances. Great coaching job by Matt Painter. The season is done, and brackets all over the country are wrecked now that Tennessee is out. The other three Sweet 16 games last night, not so great, but tonight's slate should be a lot of fun. Borky, we didn't get to the, this yesterday, but is uh, is sure to point out the fact that Virginia Tech has a player that was charged with weed possession last week who is playing tonight. Yeah, and I'm surprised that story's not getting as much traction as it is, but basically the background is when they went to San Diego, or not San Diego, um, wherever the heck Haydad was last week, San Jose. San Jose. Police raided his apartment and found marijuana in his apartment and charged him with marijuana possession. Virginia Tech, however, gave him a drug test and he passed the drug test. So they're going to play him despite charges and an impending trial involving marijuana possession. Sounds like they were looking for something else, no? Because they're not going to raid the kid's apartment for like a small bag of weed. And like if he had like that much on him that warranted a raid, then I bet he wouldn't be playing. Like if you're like a kingpin on campus, like you're probably not playing tonight. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but if you... Pass the drug test. You pass the drug test. I guess that's true, too. Um, Weird o- deal. Ole Miss had their pro day today. Brian Scott Rippey was there and soaked up every second of it. Riveting? Riveting's a great word for it. Really? Are you actually looking for the antonym to riveting to describe it? No. Oh, no. It was great stuff. Really? I think you're lying. It was fine. Not a whole, very uneventful. There we go. We're going to get to Luke Johnson this afternoon, co host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg. We'll talk with Teddy, Hay- uh, Teddy Cahill or Teddy Tayhill, his, uh, um, his evil twin or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Teddy Cahill, who was in Starkville last night. And I'm disappointed that uh, I missed him. And uh, also the. Uh, part-time voice of the Atlanta Braves, Ben Ingram. He's got a much bigger workload this year on the radio with the Atlanta Braves Radio Network, uh, hosting their pregame show, their postgame show, all-around good guy. We'll talk some Atlanta Braves baseball with him coming up this afternoon. And um, minor league baseball, going to test a rule that we'll see uh, if it ends up making its way to the big leagues in the future. So a lot to get to this afternoon. Um, I want to say thank you to, I guess, three people. You're not one of them, Haydad. I'm sorry. Uh, although, well, actually, no, I'll add Haydad into the mix. We, we took uh, a, a route from the Super Talk studio in Starkville to the baseball stadium yesterday that I could not replicate if my life depended on it. If you said to me today, you have to go to the baseball stadium exactly the way you went last night, there's no way I could do it again. But Hey Dad got us there, avoided almost all traffic, and it happened uh, quickly. So thanks for that, Hey Dad. You're welcome. 
Uh, I would also like to thank John Cohen. I was kind of joking with him in our conversation yesterday that you heard uh, uh, about sneaking into his office and getting his all-access pass so I could kind of move around at my leisure and check out the ballpark last night. He said, Richard, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he was like, "Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm the athletics director and I can help you with the tour. And he did just that. He reached out to Bart Gregory who is a friend of mine and works in the Bulldog Club, and you catch him on the SEC Network Plus and sometimes on the radio. Bart met me at the uh, the right field gates as I came into the stadium and gave me an absolute first-class behind-the-scenes tour of the uh, the new Duty Noble, uh, Duty Noble, and it was fantastic. And then also thanks to um, Greg Campbell, who's the new media relations director, who uh, kind of got me taken care of with a, a media pass on short notice yesterday. So to those three people and Brian, hey, Dad, thanks a lot. Um, I, I really wanted to withhold judgment on the new Duty Noble until I saw it with my own eyes. I've seen pictures. I had seen it under construction. Uh, you know, last year certainly was a work in progress for the new stadium. You could tell it was going to be special, but it wasn't there yet because it was like, you know, this ongoing construction area. I was blown away last night. Uh, and, and I think I got to see everything in the stadium again, thanks to Bart. Uh, we, we started out and kind of went through the, uh, the Triple Crown Club, which is like the bunker area underneath the stadium that, that fans have access to if, uh, they sit behind home plate or they buy a pass for it. Uh, got to see Mississippi State's locker room and the, the umpire slash pro, pro locker room, the training area, the team lounge. Um, went through the premium seating areas, got to see the, the new TV booth, and got to go through a couple of the suites. Um, saw what was able to go inside one of the uh, the left field lofts and, and kind of watch some of the game from there, and, and then spent some time in the, the left field lounge as well. I guess the only part of the stadium that I didn't go to was the area beyond the right field wall, kind of where more of the, the Mississippi State students are. A- everything about it is is absolutely first class. You spent $68 million on a baseball stadium, and I, I think that's what you would expect. Um, I, I, I can't find one single thing to criticize or to go, you know, they really probably should have done it this way as opposed to that way. Uh, there, there's some unique things about the ballpark. You, if, if, if you've been to the ballpark, you've seen this, and if you've just seen pictures, you've probably heard about it. But the ability to walk around the entire stadium, the entire 360 degrees Loosely, I mean, we'll, we'll pretend it's an actual circle, but you can walk all the way around the playing surface and theoretically see the field the entire time. I say theoretically because there's a big crowd there and you've got people that are kind of lining the drink rails all around the stadium. You may have trouble seeing. You have to kind of crane your neck. But that's one of the really cool features is that you don't ever have to leave the ability to see the field and, and feel like you're still at the baseball game or, or part of the, uh, the venue. Talk a little bit more about it. I'll give you a couple of other impressions that I had uh, when we come back, and we'll jump into the ball game last night as well. Mississippi State and LSU game one went the way of the Bulldogs. Just getting started with you. You can text the show on the Ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. Ceasefire customer inspired. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio. You know, one thing to me that's really interesting about the new Duty Noble Stadium is the fact that the ball flies better in the new ballpark. I, w- I was always struck by John Cohen talking about the uh, the, the previous stadium, and, and he would, especially in February, March, and April, 
refer to it as a graveyard. You know, some big, deep alleys. At one point, they moved the fences in a little bit to try and give themselves a little bit more of an offensive advantage. Uh, because of the way the stadium is configured now, and I think there are two or three things that are at play, and this is not just me like thinking out loud. There, Mississippi State, and, and John Cohen may have told us about this, Bart was explaining it to me last night, had a wind study commissioned you know, to, talk, to, to see how the wind affects the baseball in the old ballpark versus the new ballpark. And what they learned was in and around home plate, there was basically no wind movement. So there was absolutely no help for the baseball at all coming off the bat around home plate, kind of between home plate and the pitcher's mound. Well, with the design of the new stadium, the, the open concourse all the way around, that 360-degree that walkway, and frankly some breezes because you've got some openings to the outside of the stadium where people come in, you've got wind movement. And then also you've got the left field lofts out beyond the left field wall, and with the stadium kind of facing northeast, you block some of that north wind, especially early in the season, and it has created a good hitting environment. You saw it last night, three home runs for Mississippi State. LSU had an early home run that Daniel Cabrera hit that was an absolute no-doubter. Uh, a couple of home runs from Foscue in the game. And, hey, Dad, you've seen a bunch more games there at this point than I have, but I don't know that in March you would necessarily call it a launching pad, but something tells me that when the weather really warms up, when you get into late April, May, potentially postseason play, that is going to be an extremely hitter-friendly ballpark. Yeah, and, and you mentioned, you know, talking to John Cohen, I've asked some of the players that question, guys who have been here for the past couple of years, and they all agree. They say, yes, that there is some sort of difference, be it from the way the lofts are trapping wind within the ballpark or whatever, but it's definitely become more hitter-friendly. You mentioned Foskey's two home runs. You mentioned Cabrera. He hit an absolute shot. But McNamee's home Ooh. run last night. Might have been the longest home run I've ever seen at Duty Noble Field. That ball left the stadium, the the entire stadium. It was behind, and it, it, the, it that was the one that was right down the left field line, right? Right, right. That they had to review and, it, and doing the review. That ball may have been foul, but you couldn't track it. It was so far gone, you couldn't even see it on the camera. They tracked. They said 388 feet on the home run tracker, but there's no way that's accurate. The ball had to have gone well over 400 feet because it left the yard. Big crowd last night. 9,797 was the paid attendance uh, game one between Mississippi State and LSU. Uh, there was a pretty good buzz in the ballpark before the game began, and then LSU gets on the board first. Daniel Cabrera hits a, a two-run home run to right field to put LSU up 2 nothing early in the ball game. There would be no more scoring until the bottom of the third when Justin Foscue hit his eighth home run of the season, a three-run shot that puts Mississippi State in front 3-2. to two. Bulldogs added a run in the fourth inning on a uh, on a Westberg RBI double that scored Hatcher. That made it uh, let's see four to two. Two more runs in the fifth inning, uh, a solo home run from McNamee and then a solo home run from Foscue. They went back to back with those two home runs, and that made it six to two. And Mississippi State was in complete control of the ball game. Uh, there was no scoring in the sixth or seventh inning from either team. LSU had an opportunity in the seventh inning with a couple of base runners, couldn't get a hit, got out of the inning without scoring, and Mississippi State, again, pretty much in control. But then the eighth inning rolls around, and LSU gets three runs in the top of the eighth. It made it a one-run ball game. Uh, LSU got a one-out base runner in the uh, in the top of the ninth inning, could not score, though. Um, Cole Gordon in relief faced four hitters. 
He got three strikeouts, gave up an infield single, and the game ended on Antoine Duplantis being caught stealing. Not an ideal way, by the way, to end the ball game, and really it wasn't close. No, he was out by, by quite a bit. Uh, talking to Coach Lamonis after the game, he said the thought process was that at that point in the batting order, they didn't feel – he thought that LSU might not have felt they had somebody who could drive the ball into the outfield for extra bases. So they needed to get the guy in scoring positions because so they could score on any base hit. Uh, but that said, great play by uh, by Dustin Skelton to make a good throw and a good tag by Jordan Westberg, who, you know, had two errors uh, in the in that seventh inning. And then we you know might have been in his own head a little bit, but he he got the tag down, and uh, State walks off a winner. So so unusual, you know. You think about MSU and LSU through the years, and so many times the Tigers have come back to to take one from the Bulldogs in in ninth inning fashion like that. So for State to to flip that around and get that that great relief performance from Cole Gordon, a four out save for him, well, I think that's very very big for Mississippi State. And, and hey, Dad, I left in the eighth inning, but watching on the, the ESPN app and kind of listening to it on the radio as I was driving home, it, it seemed like, or, or kind of through watching it, felt like there was a little bit of uneasiness in the ballpark. Duplantis gets on base. Cabrera's already hit a home run. It's a night where the conditions are, are susceptible for that. And you just kind of weren't sure what was going to happen with Cabrera. So you got strikeout of Watson to start the inning. Duplantis gets an infield single with the shift on and just beats it by a step or two. Then Cabrera strikes out, and uh, the Giacomo at the plate when Duplantis is caught stealing to, to end the ball game. Was that an accurate assessment? Did it feel a little uneasy in the ballpark when, when LSU got the tying run on and the go-ahead run at the plate? It's incredibly accurate because that that is – that scenario I lined up where LSU has come back to win so many games, not just against Mississippi State, but against everybody in the SEC. Against everybody. You know, you yep. know when you play LSU that it's going to be – you're going to have to get every out. You know, you can't you can't give them anything. So, yeah, that, that's probably pretty accurate. But I think, you know, the fans had a, a, enough confidence in Cole Gordon, and I know that his teammates certainly do, that once he came into the game, you felt like you were going to have a chance to close out LSU and, and win, and that's exactly what happened. Rippy and I were talking about it a second ago. The, the Cole Gordon thing is interesting to me. He's been really, really effective. He's got seven saves on the year. And, and he went from kind of unable to get anybody out and walking a bunch of people a year ago to now he's the guy at the end of the game. And that was the case at the end of the year, and it's carried over to this year. But if you watch Cole Gordon, he's not your prototypical closer. Now, he's a big guy. He kind of looks like your prototypical closer. But he doesn't have a fastball that's in the low to mid-90s. He's kind of working around 90 with the fastball, and he's constantly throwing that curveball. Again, a a, a typical closer, a traditional closer, you think good elite fastball and a hard slider. Mm -hmm. The fastball is okay, but that curveball seems to be the difference for him. He's getting a lot of swings and misses. And he's kind of mixing up two different kind of curveballs. He, he's he's nibbling with one of them to get a strike. It's kind of a get-me-over curveball where he kind of works on the outside, kind of in and out with it. But then he's got the one where he really throws it hard, and it's got that kind of fierce downward movement. And that's what he's getting the swing and miss on. And State had that a couple of years ago, had a closer with a curveball for an out pitch, and Jonathan Holder. Now his was more of that 12-6 drop-off-the-table curveball, but it, it was effective. And, yeah, you're right about Cole Gordon. He's definitely not – you know the average closer, and of course you got to think he started last year as a starter. 
You know, he was a guy who was yeah. designed to try to get five or six innings, and he's he's had to adapt to this new role. And like you mentioned, there was a point last year where him getting outs was something that you couldn't take for granted. And then something clicked for him in the postseason, and it's just gone that way ever since. And now he's become State's probably most reliable reliever. Um, Ethan Small last night, five innings, three hits, two earned runs. Maybe not his best outing. He walked four. He did have ten strikeouts in five innings, which is impressive. LSU, the, their offensive approach, good. they, they struck out 17 yeah. times last night. 17! Not, not going to win a lot of games, striking out 17 times. I mean, and you mentioned Small, like you said, not his best outing, three hits and four walks, but he did strike out 10. And I mean, he's keeping guys off the base paths for the most part, and, and that's what's happening in the bullpen as well. You get 17 strikeouts. I mean, it's going to be really hard for anybody to, to, to win. And, you know, and they got close, obviously, but at the end, State was able to get the outset they needed. And that's sort of something this, this pitching staff has done all year. They had a streak. I think it got up to 12 games in a row where they struck out 10 or more in every game. And they, they just have a, a good swing-and-miss staff right now, and that's been a big boost for them. They're, they're not putting guys on base unnecessarily. Tristan Barlow went an inning in a third, gave up just a hit. Jared Liebelt got Mississippi State out of a jam in the bottom, uh, the top of the seventh inning, but then got into some trouble, ended up giving up the three earned runs in the eighth inning, and then Cole Gordon came on and finished it out at the end. So Mississippi State takes game one in the series. They're now 24-3 and on the year. And, and here's the thing. You know, sweeps are nice. Not getting swept is imperative. But the name of the game in the SEC is to win series. Yeah, and up one nothing with JT again going tonight. Mississippi State once again is in a really good position to be able to go out and get a series win. Before we go, I got a stat. You ready? From Austin Coates, one it. of MSU's uh, media relations guys, Justin Foscue has more home runs through twenty-seven games than Brent Rooker did in his Triple Crown campaign, nine to eight. All right. He doesn't also have the top batting average in the conference. Does not, the, but he, uh, but the power numbers RBIs, are pretty impressive. He? No, no, no. He's yeah, not doing pre- that. Pretty good on the power numbers so far. Sports Talk Mississippi coming up. We're going to look at what else is going on in the SEC. We'll also peek at Conference USA. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Friday afternoon, wrapping up the work week. 96 baseball players, formerly from the SEC, were on 2019 Major League Baseball opening day rosters. A total of 80 Former players from SEC schools made the 25-man roster. An additional 16 were listed on either the 40-man or the disabled list. Pretty remarkable to see that many guys whose names you recognize in big league uniforms. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Right now we go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. Teddy, I'm disappointed. Teddy, you there, man? Yes, sir. You got me? Yeah, I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you. It's like you're off in a cave somewhere. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. I was just going to say, Teddy, I was I was disappointed. We were in the same place last night, and I uh, I fully intended or, or would have liked to have said hi, but uh, I missed you. What did you think of, uh, of Duty Noble and your first experience last night? 
Oh, well, I was running all over the place last night, trying to trying to take it all in. So, I mean, that's more on me than anything else. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful park, though. I can I can say that. And um, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's absolutely everything that that you know people have been talking about and being for the last few years. And I, to see it come to fruition like that, I think is is really special. Yeah, last night was the first time that I had been there, and and I kind of wanted to reserve judgment. I mean, obviously, I had seen pictures and knew that it was going to be good, but. I'll be honest. I, I tried to go into it without of a lot of a lot of expectation, and and whatever expectation I had when I left last night was kind of thinking back through all that I had seen was kind of blown away. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you can talk about how it's going to be. I think, and you know, we can see the rendering, and you know, we can see the loss and everything. But until you're here, I think it is something that's, that's different. And, you know, I, you stand up in, in certain parts of this ballpark, and you, you're seeing things that, that don't exist in any other college stadium in the country. And, um, you know, I, I was standing up by the Omaha Club, and, I, you know, just it's uh, it, it's a kind of a remarkable thing that, that you're that high up in, in a college stadium, uh, which maybe feels like something you don't actually want. But, um, you know, this thing is, you know, two full decks, basically. And so, uh, you know, the suites are above that still. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, the loss give it a completely different dimension. And, of course, the rigs are, uh, you know, they're still out there and, and everyone's still doing exactly the same thing they've always been doing, just a little bit different. And I think, uh, you know, it, it still retains a lot of the, a lot of the things that made the old one special. That there is still a lot of grill smoke. There is less insurance risk, though, with uh, with some of the contraptions that were out there um, previously. What about on the field last night? Mississippi State kind of had it on cruise control for much of that ball game. LSU makes it interesting late. One of the big takeaways for me last night was 17 strikeouts by LSU hitters. Some of that is a credit to Mississippi State's pitching, but some of that's got to be offensive approach for LSU, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is a part of it, and I think a part of it is that, uh, you know, they had a tough left-on-left matchup for several of those hitters with Ethan Small. Um, you know, but it's a, it, it's a tough game that they're playing out here, and, and there were some really good pitchers on the mound last night, and I think ultimately that's what you're seeing there more than anything is uh, some really good pitching beating some pretty good hitting on, on, on a given night. Hey, what about the series this weekend in Fayetteville with Ole Miss going on the road? They're sitting there at three and three in league play. Uh, obviously, a little bit behind Arkansas after after a couple of weeks. This feels like a really important weekend for Ole Miss if you're kind of looking at things from a big picture standpoint and looking at their schedule coming up after opening with Alabama and on the road against Missouri. Do you look at this series in the same way? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is a big weekend. I, I think it's hard to put too much emphasis on any one weekend right now in the SEC just because they're all so good. But I think Ole Miss sitting at 3-3 three and three right now, uh, you know, they, they don't want to fall too much farther behind the leaders or, or any further behind the leaders. And they're, they're facing one of them right now in, out, uh, in, in Arkansas. And, you know, that's an opportunity to, to bounce back from what was a, a pretty tough uh, weekend at Missouri last weekend, and knowing what they have coming in, you know, yes, Florida is sitting at one and five right now, but that's what Ole Miss has next week coming to Oxford and it's Florida, and that's a team that's better than one and five in the SEC. So, and you you kind of have to. You know, this, this is part of being an SEC team is that you play these really tough weekends back to back to back, but um, you know, at the same time, you kind of got to get it right before it starts to spiral on you. 
The other series that got started last night was Georgia at Kentucky. Emerson Hancock was good again last night, had eight strikeouts. Georgia is 6-1. and one. How much of a believer are you in this Georgia team that's 22-4 and four overall? I think I'm becoming a pretty big believer in this Georgia team. I think that um, you know, the way that they're pitching right now is just very, very impressive. That starts with Hancock, but it's not just him. Uh, you know, C.J. Smith goes really well on Saturdays, and they have a pretty – good-looking bullpen um, that I think is only going to get deeper as it gets healthier here in a little bit. Uh, you got Aaron Schunk at the back end, and, and that's a really good option as a closer. And they field the ball very, very well. They're one of the better fielding teams in the country. And uh, You know, you pitch and you field at that high level. You don't have to hit a ton, and they have enough offense. So I think that that, that is a team that, that's very much going to be in the mix uh, at the top end of the conference all year long. We talked last week, Teddy, about Vanderbilt and uh, the fact that they'd kind of stumbled out of the gate a little bit. Obviously, it was an important weekend. They they sweep Florida. Did we get a full market correction last week with Vanderbilt, or do you still need to see more from their pitchers? Because I don't think there's much question about what that offense is capable of. Yeah, I mean, that's tough. I, I think that Drake Fellows was outstanding uh, at the front end of that series, and then you saw Patrick Raby do a lot of really good things. He was His control was not what you'd want to see from, or what we've come to expect from Patrick Raby. Uh, but those two were really good, and Kumar Rocker got hit a little bit on Sunday, but it wasn't too bad. But, I, you know, this is not going to be a vintage Vanderbilt team in that it's not going to be, uh, you know, they don't have a top two overall, sorry, overall pick on the mound. They don't have that first round on the mound. That's not what Trey Fellows is. And, you know, they're going to have to hit a little more than, than they have in the past. But that's fine. They have the offense to do that. So I, I think that, you know, we, it's different to see Vanderbilt without David Price, without Walker Beale, without Carson Porter, without uh, Kyle Wright, without all of these guys at the front of the rotation to still be as good as they are. But I think that's just what this team's identity is. And it's a little bit different than what we're used to seeing for the Commodores. Teddy Cahill on your radio from uh, from Baseball America. We're talking about all that's going on in the SEC. Teddy, we're certainly guilty of, of focusing our attention on the Southeastern footprint, the Southeastern Conference, Southern Miss, um, and that's kind of the, to the exclusion of the rest of the country. Is this one of those years where it's the SEC and everybody else? We know the Pac-12 in recent years has been down, or is there more that we're missing by only focusing on the SEC? I think the pack is back at the top end. Of it. I think that when you look okay. at the top teams in the Pac-12, you look at UCLA, Stanford, Arizona State, Oregon State. I think those teams are, you know, high high-end teams, uh, at least in comparison to the rest of the country. And I, I think that those teams stack up pretty well uh, with anyone else. I, I think the ACC is down this year. I think the Big 12 is uh, a very competitive league, but I don't know that they have the elite teams. I think this year, if you're looking at elite teams, the, the bulk of them are going to be in the SEC and the Pac-12. And I do think, I mean, the Pac-12 doesn't have the depth of the SEC right now, but I, I do think the top-end teams are right there. Um, you know, that's why UCLA's number one and Stanford's number three. You know, they, there's a lot of talent on those two teams especially. Is there a team up north, uh, upper Midwest, or in the Northeast that maybe we should keep our eyes on? That that when Selection Monday rolls around, you go, "Ooh, that's not a team that you're really excited about having in your regional." Yeah, I mean, I thought Michigan was that team, and I still think they can be. They um, 
have had two kind of statement weekend opportunities, and they came pretty close to getting one of them. Uh, they beat UCLA on a Friday night and then couldn't finish that weekend off um, in a tournament against USC and Oklahoma State, which was kind of disappointing to see from them. And then Texas Tech kind of rolled over them in Lubbock. Um, so that's kind of maybe the class of the Big Ten. I thought Minnesota was going to be really good coming into the year. still think they are. They had a brutal schedule, dug themselves a hole. They're going to be in the mix in the Big Ten. But I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to see either of those teams or Nebraska uh, or Indiana show up in my regional. But I also don't yeah. think that those teams are probably in the mix to host. Should be another fun one for tonight uh, for, for you in Starkville. Game two between Mississippi State and LSU coming up. Teddy, as always, appreciate your time and uh, enjoy the evening. Absolutely. Thanks so much. That's uh, Ted Cahill from Baseball America. You can follow him on Twitter at Ted Cahill. Also on Instagram, uh, there was a uh, pretty neat collage of pictures, or I guess uh, montage of pictures that he had from uh, kind of a stadium tour last night. If you want to check that out, I think it's tedcahill.ba on Instagram if you want to follow him there. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Renaissance Bank Studio. Friday afternoon, carrying you into the weekend. Brian Haydad's favorite day of the week, a Jimmy Buffett Friday. Am I right, Brian Haydad? Love it. You're a bad liar. I'm a fantastic liar. What are you talking about? Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. They've been financing land at Mississippi Land Bank for over 100 years. Well, let's face it. You really don't know that many people. Maybe anybody that's 100 years old. They've been doing the exact same thing for over 100 years. Which means, one, they're really good at what they do. And two, they must be decent people. Because nobody hangs out with somebody that's not a pretty decent person for a full century. Right? So if you've got land financing needs, whether it's buying a piece of property or getting a piece of equipment or refinancing an existing loan or getting a production loan or maybe building a house out in the country just a little bit, Mississippi Land Bank can help if you are in North Mississippi. Mississippi Land Bank, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. We'll get into the Ole Miss-Arkansas matchup uh, in a little more detail coming up later this afternoon. Big series, I think, for Ole Miss this weekend. And you heard Teddy Cahill say, I don't know if you put too much emphasis on any series. Quick thought, though, Rippy, and I think we've kind of gotten to this some this week. This is an important weekend for Ole Miss, given the fact that they're sitting at 3-3 three and three in the league after two weeks, and that's 20% of the way through the schedule. Well, yeah, and it's who they played in the two weeks versus who they have coming up. Like, if they, they can't get swept, I mean, I guess they can. It would They would be in big trouble if they got swept, and they got to find a way to get one. And then, it really, if they get two, like, that could – like, if they find a way to get two this weekend, I would, I, would, I would pencil that down as a turning point moment, I guess, if it does actually turn around. Yeah, because then if you say, okay, somehow they were managed to get two this weekend – and then they come back home against the Florida team and win another series, all of a sudden you feel pretty decent about where you are through four weeks. If it doesn't go that way, though, over the next couple of weekends, you find yourself kind of looking uphill in the uh, the distance between you and the, the, the team that you're trying to catch uh, gets a little more significant. Yeah, because, I mean, we've gone through it. It's Florida and then 
what kind of catch a little bit of a break Kentucky and then it's right. Auburn and off to the races to finish. So any kind of hay they're trying to store in the barn as far as like building up like wiggle room is going to be done in the next couple weeks. That's your first hay storing in the barn reference of this Friday afternoon. Uh, we'll put a check mark up there and see if we get another one before it's all said and done. Sounds like it should be the last, huh? Oh, I just yeah, just an observation. I have not that that is a new um metaphor that I've heard from you. It's a metaphor, right? Wouldn't expect the old miss people to know about storing hay in the barn. Why is that? Not a lot of old miss farmers out there. Uh that's not entirely true. Eh, I feel pretty confident. It's not true. I'm just saying. What do you mean they're not a lot of Ole Miss farmers? The Delta's full of farmers that are Ole Miss people. You know, you could just there go a lot with of Mississippi State sometimes. farmers as well. I'm just but you're just kind of painting with a broad with brush joke. there. We could just all move on with our lives, but I mean, we, well, yeah, not, no, not everything I mean, has you to be could, a debate. Well, you, you could go with the joke if I wanted to just let you hang out there, be wrong, and then everybody go, "Well, Richard must not know any better. I guess he's an idiot because he doesn't know anyway." And they're going to think that either way. That, that's possible. But let's not let it be because I'm wrong about something that I know that I'm not wrong about. Or I don't think I said that the right way. See, uh, now look what happened. Hey, hey, Dad. Hey. You talk about stacking hay in a barn. You're a Mississippi State guy. When's the last time you participated in that activity? Stacking hay in a barn? Whew. Yeah. Long time ago. Bailing hay? I, I have, I have, you, I have you moved have... hay once, once or twice in my life. Okay. Square bales? Are there different kinds? Are there different kinds of hay bales? Yeah, I mean, I just they're just bales of hay. I don't know. Well, I mean, yes, you have you have round bales and you have square bales. About are the round ones those gigantic? No, don't really have triangle see? bales of hay. I, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, I guess they were square. I, I'm they, sorry. Yeah. yeah, square would be the ones you were stacking. I just was. If you had told me you were stacking round bales, I would have called you out on that as well. Yeah, because those are those fun. big things you see on the side of the road, right? Yeah, like out in the middle of a field that a yeah, cow yeah. or a horse is eating out of. No, I'm not doing that. Hey, you want to text the show and uh, you want to question Haydad's ability to stack hay bales and uh, know about the farming community? Feel free to do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. And uh, Delta Farm Girl points out that there's not much hay in the Delta. She's right. Where's a place fertile for hay? How's that go? Well, the Delta is more about crop farming, not hay farming. Here we go. Richard knows two farmers in the Delta. Now it's full of Ole Miss farmers. I didn't say it was full of Ole Miss farmers. That's <laughs> <laughs> not what I said. I said there were plenty of farmers in Mississippi, in the Delta, that were Ole Miss people or Ole Miss fans. Goodness. See what you did? You, you we got a lot of responses going. to this. Just go with the joke next time, man. Oh, no, I think this is this is actually pretty good. This is the point in the show where Borky always likes to point out where you're like, you think maybe no one's listening, and then some random thing just blows up <laughs> yeah, the next line. exactly. And we get our favorite oh, okay. picture ever from Daniel. <laughs> Every time this this conversation randomly pops up, we get a bunch of farmers that send us pictures from the current work that they're doing while they're listening Look, to the show, and it's always so cool. So thanks, Daniel. You you 
You have heard me say this many, many times. Borky, how long have we been working together? This is year five. Year five. Year I bet you can't count the number of times. Yeah, uh, whatever. I wasn't looking for tone and inflection there. You have heard me say many times my absolute 100% favorite messages that come in on the C Spire text line are the messages that people send us while they are working on a tractor. And we get shots from the rear, like it looks like we're uh, cutting old corn stalks here and getting the field ready for the new year. We'll get shots looking off the front of the tractor as well, you know, off toward the horizon. I love it. And I love that folks are, uh, are riding around on a tractor on a Friday afternoon uh, listening as uh, uh, as they work or maybe you're just kind of decompressing a bit. I'm reading some more of these, uh, by the way. Have you seen the, the tweet, Lon? No, I, I, I'm looking at the ceasefire text. We'll go to tweets next. Michael from Tupelo says, I've got a cousin who's in the farming business, and his son shows cows and sheep. They're big old Miss fans. <laughs> well, what I'm learning from this experiment here is that all the uh, the farmer jokes that Ole Miss fans like to make need to stop. Well, Tracy in Luxahoma, Tracy in Luxahoma makes a good point. Saying no Ole Miss farmers is like saying no pharmacists from Mississippi State. A lot of doctors and attorneys that are state fans. Can you graduate from state with a degree in, in I don't know how to say it, in a pharmacy degree? Yeah, no, Mississippi State yeah. does not have a. So you can be a, a, a Mississippi State pharmacy. fan, and you could have gone to Mississippi State, but you can't graduate with a degree for it in. What's the word? Is it, you don't pharmacy. graduate a doctor, with a degree get, in get a doctor of pharmacy. Doctor of pharmacy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, when uh, when Jane decided to have a bit of a change of career, I mm-hmm. called her an expat pharmacist. There you go. There you go. What what did I miss on the uh, the ceasefire text? Oh, this from Anthony. Growing weed in your mom's basement does not make you a farmer, Richard. It's <laughs> got a point. Uh, hey, Dad, not knowing that Tech round again? bales exist. Say what? Are we talking about the kid from Virginia Tech again? Oh, touche. Kevin, this is good. Hey, Dad, not knowing that round bales exist makes him sound more like an Ole Miss farmer. I did know that round bales existed. I said those are the things you see on the side of the road. <laughs> All right. That was fun. Get a picture from a on. game warden, so that's a little different, but we appreciate that as well. Pharmacology, so thank you, Bob, from Brandon. No, not the same thing. Not the same thing? No, a pharmacology degree is not the same thing as a doctor of pharmacy. Oh, okay. Well, never mind, Lyle from Brandon. I appreciate the effort, though. There is such a thing, and you might get a Ph.D. in pharmacology, but when somebody talks about being a pharmacist, they have a doctor of pharmacy. Anyway. Here we go. Here it is. Here it is. From the uh, from the category of stick to sports, here it is. What an idiotic topic. Must be a slow day. Man, I bet you are so much fun to hang out with. So much fun. We should go to dinner tonight just so we can have great, stimulating, fantastic, awesome, interesting conversation. That's what we should do. I sense sarcasm. I could be wrong. Or not. 
We'll get back to breaking down box scores after this with you. I want to jump in? Ceasefire text line on fire. So is the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M I S S in the Renaissance Bank Studio. In the midst of all that madness about hey, John and Hardeman said, "Can y'all tell me when the state LSU game starts?" Thanks, gentlemen. Six o'clock. You can watch it on the SEC Network, John, if you can't make it to Starkville or you're outside of radio range. Many of these Super Talk stations will have it for you uh, starting at 6 o'clock tonight, Game 2. Hey, thanks for, I mean, we, we sat here and, I don't know if we did, I sat here and laughed through the entire break reading through your text messages. Uh, and, and they were all over. they were all over the place, too. There were the text messages of when, Richard, you're an idiot. You didn't even pay attention to what Haydad said to start with. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, explaining the ability to stack round bales versus square bales, but to stack round bales, you needed a tractor, which, no, I, I understand that. My point with regard to asking Haydad about stacking round bales was I was pretty sure he didn't know how to drive a tractor. I do not. We should work on that. I don't know hey, how man. to either. It's okay. Me neither. Anytime, anytime you want to make that happen for me, I'm in. I am still certified to operate a forklift for another year and a half. So I, I have an yeah. open invitation at a dairy farm to do a live podcast, and then I have to milk cows. Mm-hmm. And what and are I'm you not, I don't know for? that I'm going to do that, but it's, it's out there. Uh, if we go back to the very early days of this here radio show, uh, there are some pictures that are still floating around of me milking a cow at the dairy barn in Starkville. There you go. The Mississippi State. And then drinking the milk. Mm. Would you do that? I don't drink milk, so no. I'll milk the cow, but I won't. You don't drink, drink milk. milk? I don't drink milk, no. Hmm. My wife's got me drinking almond milk, and it's actually it tastes better, but I don't really know where it comes from. That's what I was about to say. How do you milk an almond? Yeah. And I guess I could just sit here and Google it and find out, but it's funnier just to, to ask that question. Yeah. You uh, milk. No, no, see, I know where you're trying you to can, go. You can, We're getting a meet can, the parish reference fixing to happen here. I know what's about to happen. It was, it, I, it was coming. I just, you know, I, it didn't come as smoothly as I'd wanted to. Uh, hey, Sweet Sixteen tonight. You got four games coming up. You had four games last night. We talked uh, a little bit uh, earlier about Tennessee Purdue, or maybe we didn't talk about that on the air. I think that was a, a pre pre show conversation. Tennessee Purdue, arguably. The second best game of the entire NCAA tournament so far. What what's the one Borky that you would put in front of it? Duke UCF. Okay, I get on board with that. I think I'd put that one number one and UCF Duke a com- close second. Tennessee was down twelve at the half. Right. Tennessee was down twelve to Purdue at the half. And it got they all the way up to Purdue. nineteen. Right. I know at least eighteen. Yeah, so I mean, same difference. Oh, the they were the deficit was eighteen at one point yeah. in the second half. Yeah, wow. I didn't realize. And, and then they have the big furious comeback. They send it to overtime. It didn't look like it was going to go to overtime. Obviously, the conversation surrounding the game has to do with the foul that was called on the Tennessee guard 
uh, on the shooter for Purdue, did you agree with the call? I mean, that's the question that everybody's debating. Did you agree with the call one way or the other? It's a foul. I hated that it was called in that moment, but you can't when you close out, you can't walk up under a shooter like that. Yeah, and that's the thing. The the shooter has to be able to come down without having the defender make contact. What distorted it though was Edwards moving his leg out into the left to kind of make it look like he initiated the contact, but like even if he initiated the contact, I don't think that's what the foul call should have been even if that's what it was. I mean, if a guy goes Reggie Miller on you, and does the full leg kick out to draw the foul? They've tried to kind of eliminate that from the game. I mean, you don't see a ton of guys do that. The ones that do it effectively, it's really impressive when they pull it off. Hey, Dad, did you agree? Was it a foul or not? Watching it live, I thought it was a foul. Watching the replay since have not changed my mind. Okay. And, Borky. Uh, it, go ahead. Go ahead. I There was contact, albeit... Very light amount of contact, but I still now think that that call should not have been made and Purdue was gifted overtime. And he landed off what? to the left of the shooter as well, and the shooter landed but he, cleanly. But he hip checked him. They did. There was the a little contact. The cleanly out of bounds, though. The sh- but the shooter landed cleanly. There was a little bit of contact, and that contact did not affect the shot. In that moment, down to two seconds left, I don't think that should be what sends a game to overtime. The, you, the closeout was bad. Should have closed out differently, and there was a, just a tiny bit of contact. He landed to the left of the shooter. The shooter landed cleanly. It didn't affect the shot. A game going to overtime because of that, I don't like. Um... What if I said the more controversial no call, there was a call there, was the fact that it looked like it's Carson Edwards, right? Edwards' heels were on the line when he caught the ball. That he actually was out of bounds when he caught the ball. I I think that's it. It doesn't look like his heels are on the ground, though. Yeah, I think it's just in the shooting. I think he's in. Okay. I don't know, though. It was close. I mean, you might be able to slide a credit card between the uh, underneath the heels of his shoes and the sideline out of bounds, but I don't think you're going to get much more than a credit card under there. I think it was that close. What was the Klein kid's name that Tennessee was a total abject defensive disaster against? Was that the best performance by an individual player in the tournament this year? I think it tops his teammates. You know, Edwards had 43 in the round of 32, but my God. And John Morant had the monster game as well, had the triple-double. That was Clay Thompson-esque. I mean, he was killing them without dribbling. He probably took three dribbles. Hit four threes in the last five minutes of the game, and with each of the four threes that he hit, Purdue was either tied or trailing when it left his hand. That's big time. Big time. It was, Are you sad it was that Tennessee's the, out? Uh, do I know? Are you sad, sad that, that Tennessee's, Tennessee's out? Yes, because it, that, that there goes my bracket. I had them losing to Duke in the national championship game. Whoop. Yeah. I had them losing in the final four to Kentucky. Yeah. One thing that was fun last night was when that game was going on, the rows of fans in front of the press box were all turned around from the field and looking into the press box because we had the game on the TV on the side wall there. So probably a good 50, Hmm. 60 people just living and dying and stuff's going on on the baseball field they could have cared less. 
Do you feel like overall it was over-officiated? I mean, there were 49 fouls called in the game, and there were times where, especially when the game was really good in the second half, so Tennessee made that big comeback, and then they started trading blows, right? Tennessee came back, Purdue would make a shot, Tennessee would make a shot, and they traded blows all the way into overtime. And there were times where a whistle would blow, and I would think, you are wasting an opportunity to have an incredible finish on a game because you are stopping play so frequently when you don't have to. I agree with what you're saying, Michael. The only problem that I have with that is how do you decide what's a foul and what's not a foul, right? I mean, if it's a foul early, it's got to be a foul late, theoretically. I am with you. Let's call fewer fouls. Let's allow the teams to be a little more physical, and let's allow the flow of the game to be better. But if you've called a game one way for the first 14 minutes or 28 minutes or 35 minutes, you can't just all of a sudden not call fouls anymore in the last five minutes of the game. Well, yeah, then I guess the the easy answer and and not – a very good answer would be, well, then call it the same way from the beginning. But 49 whistles in that game to call a foul did not do the quality of play justice. And yet it was still a 99-94 game in overtime. Because they just made Which shots, is, man. Just I know. constantly made shots. Brian Klein finishes with 27. Grant Williams led Tennessee with 21. How about the contrast between the level at which that game was played and the level at which shots were made in that game? And the final score of Virginia, Oregon. Virginia 53 to 49. Virginia's winning ugly, but they just keep winning. Or Texas Tech, Michigan. Texas Tech led Michigan 24 to 16 at the half. <laughs> That's gross. How many touchdowns did Shea Patterson throw? Well, I mean, let's see. We can do the math here, right? Six touchdown passes for Shea Patterson, but they still got beat by three touchdowns. Gosh. That that sounds about right for a Texas Tech game. Even with Mahomes, Mahomes would have had eight touchdowns or something like that, and they would have won. Gonzaga was really, really good last night. 15-12 for Brandon Clark. Gonzaga beats Florida State 72-58. That's all fine and good. I had trouble making myself flip to those games on the radio driving home last night. I just wasn't all that interested in them. little bit different story tonight. LSU, Michigan State. Auburn, North Carolina. Virginia Tech against Zion. I'm sorry, against Duke, but we're all watching because of Zion. And then Houston and Kentucky. That's four really good basketball games tonight. Borky, this could be a double screen or maybe a triple screen night for you. I'm going to have to triple screen it. I'm okay with that. Probably end In up fact, you might need Zion, the quad though. box. You, you could potentially need the quad box to get the end of the Mississippi State baseball game, the start of the Ole Miss game, and the two games going on at the same time. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad has left us. He is headed to the ballpark, Mississippi State and LSU. First pitch about an hour from right now. Let's talk some Major League Baseball, and let's do it with one of the best voices on the radio anywhere. I don't care where you're talking about. Ben Ingram, he's one of those guys that um, those of us that talk for a living hate. 
Ben, I do have to uh, I do have to tell you thank you though, if I may, to uh, begin this. I don't know if we've talked about it or not. I'm a Yankees fan. I was driving to Starkville yesterday, did the show there, was going to watch Mississippi State LSU, and I was listening to the Yankees game, and there's a uh, certain color analyst on the Yankees broadcast whose voice sounds like taking her nails and dragging them across a chalkboard. <laughs> and so I flipped over to the Braves' pregame show and got to uh, listen to you and your guys. Well, thanks for choosing us over Susan. I, pray, I hope that you'll do that every single time, Richard. Yeah, I probably uh, probably will do that uh, on a on a semi regular basis. Um, how are you, man? Good good to hear from you. And really excited about uh, a bigger workload for you this year. Are you excited about the new year? Yeah, very much so. You know, seeing what happened last season, this team went out there and won a division they weren't expected to. And anytime you go out there and win, it's going to build up anticipation and excitement. And yesterday can go the Braves' way, but. Uh, really excited, man. And, and for me personally, it's a, it's a really big year, and it, it's it's not easy to get to call major league games, and it takes a lot of patience and persistence, and paying lots and lots of dues, and, and really thrilled to see that paying off. And excited for my workload this season. Yeah, I'm excited for you as well. I know you've worked hard to get to this point, and certainly it is uh, is well deserved. So congratulations on, on that. Um, were, were there Braves fans that were ready to you know jump off the the 40th floor of a building yesterday after uh, Game One of 162 with how the result went? I think if you look hard enough, there's always fans ready to jump off the roof, no matter what the situation is. But yeah, yesterday was definitely one of those. Man, it was um, you know it's the first game, but I understand. See, I, I don't under you know looking back on what happened yesterday, I, I understand fans' frustrations, and I know that it's just one game. But I think what we saw yesterday was exactly what we saw so many times last season. And while it was a good team last year and they won 90 games, they had their issues with the bullpen. And nothing was really done to address that this offseason. And they'll, they'll get better. Uh, there's 161 games left. There's plenty of time for them to get a lot healthier. And that's the good news. But I know that the fan base wanted to see more attention towards free agency and perhaps even a trade when it comes to the rotation and when it comes to the bullpen as well. And that didn't happen. So I'm excited for the young guys. I'm excited to see Bryce Wilson go tomorrow. I'm excited to see Kyle Wright go Sunday and Max Freed and others. But the bullpen was a problem last year. And I can understand the frustration because it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress and there's definitely a, a lot of attention that needs to be paid to that bullpen. Ben, the economics of baseball are obviously very, very different than they were 20 years ago. I mean, different than they were just a few years ago, but certainly 20 years ago when Ted Turner owned the team and he was the decision maker and kind of an eccentric billionaire. How different is the way that the Braves are run from a business standpoint today in 2019 than maybe when they were run in the mid-90s when they had that just incredible run? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think we're seeing economics in, in the game change altogether. I think it's slightly different for, for every single team, but I think every team would find themselves in a certain category. And you've got your Yankees, Dodgers, Cubs, uh, Red Sox, et cetera, teams that are going to spend $175, $180, 200000000 million in payroll. Uh, we've seen the Giants in that department as well. Uh, you have other have, have teams that are going to be spending between 100 and 125. And that's typically where the Braves have been. I and mean, then you're going to have teams that are spending well south of that, teams like the Rays, and somehow they, they find a way to, to remain competitive. But for teams, uh, I think you have to realize exactly where you are. And if I'm the Red Sox, if I'm the Dodgers, if I'm the Yankees, I go out there and make a big-time free agent acquisition. I go out there and trade for a big contract. If it goes south, do I like it? Absolutely not. But is my financial situation as such where I can 
help really help bury that and, and, and not have it bury me for the future? Absolutely I am. I don't think the Braves are in a situation like that. I think the Braves are in a situation where their prospects have to help them. They have to have a constant line of, of products coming up from the minor leagues who can help them at the big league level. Uh, they also have to make sure that they hit on their trades and hit on their free agent acquisitions. I just think that some teams, given what they can spend, have a lot more leeway than other teams. For instance, if, if the Rays were to go out there and make some big free agent acquisition, well, they've got to, they've got to bang that one home. Uh, they, they can't afford for that one to be a bust for them. It, it's going to bury them for years to come. They have to rely on, on their minor league prospects coming up and making a difference because those are the guys who are going to be extremely affordable. I don't think the Braves are somewhere in the middle. They need Bryce Wilson. They need Max Freed. They need uh, Tuki Toussaint and Mike Soroka to come up and, and be guys who can win at the big league level and not have to worry about paying those guys huge contracts for the next three, four, five years. Uh, leading up to their arbitrations. But at the same time, if you do make a move, if you do roll the dice and sign a free agent like they did with Josh Donaldson, it's a move that has to work. Now, the good news for the Braves is it's a one-year deal for Josh Donaldson, and you're not buried with, with multiple years of, of paying $20, $23, 25000000 million a year to a guy that's not doing anything, similar to what the Orioles are doing right now with Chris Davis, probably the worst contract in the history of the game. But it, it, hmm. the economic situation is it such where I think these teams have to know exactly what they are and, and where they can afford to, to mess up and where they really can't afford to do so. And I think that's where the Braves are. And, and it's an interesting situation. And uh, I think the TV contracts of teams like the Phillies, teams like the Angels, that's allowed them to go up to that upper, upper tier of pay. And the Braves don't have a TV contract that pays them as handsomely as those teams do. So it's an interesting place in baseball economics, and we've seen the, the, uh, uh, the effects of that in free agency the last two seasons. And Ben Ben Ingram on the radio with us from the Braves Radio Network at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Not to get too bogged down in the business side of things, I'm, I'm just fascinated by by this. Because the Braves are owned by Liberty Media, which is a, or a publicly traded company, is it a business decision or is it necessity with regard to spending versus not spending? I think it's probably a business decision. I don't really think it's a necessity. And it's it's really hard for us who cover this team to really have a good beat on exactly what that relationship is like between the front office and from ownership. Ownership's headquarters are in Denver, Colorado. Uh, and if, if John Malone, who runs that company, walked right into our studio, I don't think I'd recognize him. And you couldn't have said that 25, 30 years ago when you're talking about Ted Turner. Everyone knew who Ted was sure. and still does. And he was a he was a piece who was seen. He was he was an owner who was seen, uh, and you couldn't say that about Liberty Media. So I do think that Liberty Media definitely governs what the Braves can and cannot do. I have had people who are high up in the Braves organization tell us that they love the ownership, that they have free reign to do about whatever they want to do. I know that they're concerned with with paying off debt of the battery uh, around the ballpark. They want to pay off the debt of the new ballpark, and I understand that being a concern. But I also understand the fans' concern. They were waiting for the brand-new stadium. They were waiting for construction to finish. They were waiting for some of these contracts to come off the book. And in their minds, the goal line keeps being moved back further and further and further. And I I completely understand that frustration. So it's an interesting uh, situation because it's not as easy as going right to Liberty Media and me sticking a microphone in someone's face and asking them, what are your plans for the Braves budget? What would you like to see? Uh, A a lot of times everything we get from them are just corporate answers, and we really don't even know where it comes from. 
Yeah, interesting stuff. Ben, quick thought. Got a, a couple of minutes left on, on the division as a whole. Obviously, the Mets are led by DeGrom. The Phillies certainly got better in the offseason. The Braves win the division a year ago. The Nationals seemingly take a step back because of who they lost. And then there's kind of Miami floating around down there at, at the bottom of the division. What, what do you see in the division this year? Well, here's the one thing I do know. Miami is not going to win the division. That's the one definitive answer I have about the East in 2019. That's a bad baseball team. I can sign on to that. Yeah, they're going to get beaten up pretty badly this season. Outside of that, you have four really good teams, four teams that thought that they got a lot better. And the reality of it, Richard, is someone's going to finish in fourth place. And I think logic would say, okay, the Braves won 90 games last year. The division got significantly better. Therefore, you have to win more than 90 games this season if you want to repeat. I don't know that that's the case. I think these teams are going to beat up on each other all summer long. And maybe 88, 89, 90 wins wins this division because it is so competitive. Uh, we do know that the Braves won 22. They were 22 games over 500 in the division last year. That's not going to happen this season. Uh, where they can be better is outside the division where they're closer to a 500 team. But I think the Nationals on paper look like the most complete team simply because the rotation is so deep. I like what they were to their what they were able to add to their bullpen. They added two or three pieces of their pen that are very good. And even without Bryce Harper, that's still a very good lineup. The Mets are the team to me that if they remain healthy all the way through the season could make the most noise because their pitching can go toe-to-toe with anyone. And that's a really good lineup that you saw and you saw yesterday with Robinson Cano hitting the home run. But they have so many guys 30-plus in their lineup. And what happens if injuries start to break that team down and I worry about their health? Then you have the Phillies, who I think lineup-wise have the potential to be the most dangerous team in this division. But can their pitching keep up with the rest? And they've got a good one in Nola and obviously in Arietta and Pavetta. But to me, it comes down to the pitching, and that's where the Braves lag between, behind those other three teams. And it's going to be a really good division in 2019. Ben, I hope we can visit on and off throughout the season. Always enjoy the chats. And, uh, again, congratulations on your success. Man, I appreciate it. And have me on any time. Absolutely. That's uh, Ben Ingram from the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. He will be, um, let's say, part-time voice of the Atlanta Braves this year. And certainly you can hear him on the pre- and post-game shows uh, for the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. Good guy. Really, really talented. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. In the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Good stuff. Hope you enjoyed that with Ben Ingram from the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. I didn't mean to get off into, like, baseball nerd mode, but I'm pretty fascinated. As If you've listened for an extended period of time, you know I'm fascinated with the business of sports. And maybe we learn some things with regard to kind of ownership structure with the Braves, and maybe you got a little insight as to why they didn't make any moves in the offseason outside of picking up Josh Donaldson on a one-year deal. I was looking at the schedule of games. So you had everybody playing yesterday. There are only eight games on the docket on day two of the season. And you might look at that and go, why the heck are there only eight games on the second day of the year? Well, they do that by design because you got a bunch of teams when you open the baseball season at the end of March, beginning of April, where you got potential for bad weather, and a lot of times you'll see rainouts or snowouts or whatever on opening day. So here's the reason that eight teams are playing today. Listen to the home teams. Blue Jays, Rays, Marlins, Brewers, Athletics, Dodgers, Padres, Mariners. There is a common thread in the eight teams that are hosting games today. Borky, do you know what the thread is? Well, one of them is the it's, future World Series champion, but I assume it's weather-related. Uh, okay. 
Yeah, the, the thread is either traditionally very good weather or a roof. Retractable roof in Toronto. Retract, uh, no, just a roof in Tampa. Retractable roof in Miami. Retractable roof in Milwaukee. Pretty good weather in Northern California. Same thing in Southern California for the Dodgers, Southern California for the Padres, and the Mariners have a retractable roof stadium. Your Seattle Mariners off to the best start in baseball at 3-0. Mine? Well, collectively yours. I'm going to throw out yours a lot early in the season. They're tearing it down. Like your Oakland Athletics lost the first two of the year. In Tokyo, they didn't get a win on the official opening day yesterday. By the way, the Angels running out Matt Harvey to start tonight. Kind of resurrected his career, sort of, kind of, not really. He was, like, good with the Reds last summer. They could have traded him at the deadline if they want to, if they would wanted to. And the Oakland A's, one of those teams that do things a little different, just in case you've never heard of that before with uh, with the A's. Um, Brad Pitt running that team. <laughs> Uh, Marcus uh, Marco Estrada starting tonight. He's already got a 5.4 ERA, so he's already pitched once. But obviously, that was in uh, in Tokyo. Uh, are the A's one of those teams that will use an opener from time to time, or is that going to be kind of isolated to Tampa? It'll be interesting to see if teams try. But Baltimore is going to do it. Um, I mean, they should try like taking steroids or something too, because that that's going to be rough. But yeah, I. Uh, I don't know. It just depends on like what what where the team struggles. Like if their starting pitching is getting re- like really bad and can't get through one or two innings, then yeah, maybe. It's time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. We are approaching the end of Truck Month, which re- means there's just a little time left for you to save big. The F-150 is the best-selling truck in America for the last 42 years. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. Ole Miss had its football pro day today. Not a ton of news out of that. Rippy, you were there. What do we need to know? You were there. What do we need to know? Guys did some drills. They, uh... I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to gather from this. I, it, it was interesting. Talk, AJ Brown afterwards was saying that teams have really kind of asked. Like he gets the sense that they're going to ask him to play both in the slot and on the outside. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Dawson Knox kind of gave off the vibe that he feels good about teams kind of understanding that he was criminally underused in the offense and like I think they like what they see from him despite some limited film. And I think Jordan Tomu had a good day. Um, you know, from the naked eye, it certainly looked like he had a good day. He was the only one throwing to the receivers, and then afterwards, the receivers seemed pretty high on him. And then he seemed—I mean, he's always been a like pretty confident guy, but he seemed really, really pleased with the way he handled things today and some of the different things they asked him to do. The kind of thing with him is, does he have anything behind the deep ball? Like, can he throw the intermediate routes with touch and some other things? And but I, I think he was pleased with how things turned out for him today. You know, we talked with Nick Fitzgerald earlier this week about who was going to throw to him when he was running tight end routes, and he was like, I'm not sure exactly. I would think that the receivers would be pretty fired up about catching passes from a guy that they've worked with for a year and a half, couple of years now. Did did all of the receivers catch balls from Jordan Tomu today? Yes, and 
Like there was some nostalgia amongst that group because it was kind of the last time all th- that three-headed monster receiver is going to work out together, and they did it in a familiar environment with a guy that they've done it. You know, they've caught passes from from the last you know two and a half years or so. You know, AJ Brown's going to get drafted possibly in the first round. You know, DK Metcalf is going to get drafted possibly in the first round. Um, you know that Demarcus Lodge is going to get drafted. It'll be interesting to see where. What about a guy like Alex Weber, who was also there today, catching passes, doing what? Yeah, I mean, maybe like he or Floyd Allen signed an undrafted free agent type thing. I Back when I talked to Floyd Allen for that story and some people around him, you know, he might be a guy that's a good fit in Canada. It just kind of depends. Will Victor Evans get a shot with anybody? Does he get into a camp? Probably. Beyond that, I'm not sure. What about C.J. Moore? Possibly. Depends on how healthy he is, and I didn't see enough today like to know. Ken Webster and Zedrick Woods both health themselves at the Combine, right? I think they'll get a shot somewhere. I do. I think they'll have a chance to maybe make a team. And then with Zedrick Woods in particular because of his speed, primarily? Yeah, that, that 40 time at the Combine came out of nowhere. One, what, one scout, it may have been Matt Miller, it's like, I'll put that up against some more impressive Combine like, I guess, achievements I've ever seen just because it really did. I mean, it came out of nowhere. It's what the la- the defensive backs were on the last day. Everyone's kind of tuning out, and all of a sudden it's kind of like, whoa. Like, how who ma- was that guy? How many teams were represented there today? All 32. 60 representatives from all 32 teams. So 60 scouts, any big-time front office people. I didn't see any pictures of Belichick No, there. I didn't see any coaches. I think I was told the assistant GM for the Saints was there. Um Beyond that, I didn't see any recognizable faces. With Jordan Tamu, I mean, is there any buzz about a specific team? You heard John Harris earlier this week mention that he thought the Chargers might be a good fit uh, playing behind um, Phillip Rivers. He was asked that, and like I haven't gotten any sense on specific teams from talking to people yet, but it kind of gets the sense that, like, I mean, the Chargers are a good example because it's a it's a like a team with a veteran quarterback that they're not necessarily like wanting to move off of yet, and maybe trying to look at like I don't know, maybe hitting the lottery on someone cheap and you know turning in a late round draft pick into a guy that can help them. So maybe something like that. What about Greg Little? Um, he did more than than some did today. Six five and a half, three ten. Did what? Fifteen reps on the bench uh, at two twenty five. Vertical jump for for a guy that size, 29 inches, I I suppose that's good enough. Did the broad jump. Uh, Where are people looking at Greg Little? Is he a first-round offensive lineman? I think there's some variance of opinion, and, like, I'm not sure. I would – I think so, but I don't know how many people need linemen in the first round. So I would say – I mean, definitely, obviously, top top two rounds, I I would think. So I I don't know. Is it a surprise because – when he was coming out of high school, five-star guy, and everybody goes, you know, th- their immediate reaction is, oh, that's a future first-rounder. And really even going into his junior season, the general thought was, that's a guy that's a first-round pick. What what has happened that maybe has caused him to be less of a for-sure first-round pick? I mean, he's going to be a guy that I think has a career in the NFL. I just, I don't know. I just don't think he maybe has tested as well as some people thought. Gotcha. We'll see. So that's your uh, college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.